Well, good morning, Oakwood family. So glad that you're here with us this morning and appreciate those of you that are online as well. And just uh, it's good to be uh, together as God's family, especially in this Christmas season. And uh, we're in a series right now called A Thrill of Hope. Uh, that line comes from the song, Oh Holy Night. And each week we're looking at a, a different part of that song, that, that uh, Christmas song that really encapsulates the whole Christmas season. And uh, last week we talked about how the weary world rejoices and, and how that is true, that we can rejoice even in the weariness of our time and our day, just like they did uh, such a long time ago. And today uh, we're going to talk about the line, the soul felt its worth. The soul felt its worth. How does a soul feel its worth and why, why is that a part of our Christmas story? And so we're going to be uh, talking about that today. I'm just curious as we begin this, uh, this morning though, how many of you are like people that like garage sales, flea markets, secondhand stores, anybody like that, goodwill type people? All right. Hope Outreach type people, good, good. Well, uh, you know, when we go to those places, oftentimes we might be looking for something, but if we're honest, sometimes when we go to those places, we're just looking for a good deal, right? Like, like we want to find the bargain, right? We want to find the really good deal. And, and uh, it, it's great because you feel like when you, when you come to that, that you come to this point where it's like a treasure, you know, it's like a treasure hunt. You found this treasure, and it's so, you know, much cheaper than you thought, and yet it's so valuable. And, and you really start to consider those things when you, when you go to these places, is what is the value, what is the worth of, of something? Uh, there was uh, a, a man who was doing a garage sale in North Carolina, and he was selling an old painting. Uh, he, it had been handed down from, like, his grandpa to his, to his uh, dad mom had been handed down to him. And he was trying to sell it. And, it, I mean, just be honest, this, this painting was ugly. It was old. And, and so he had it for five bucks in the garage sale, and no one would buy it. And, uh, and after the weekend was over, uh, somebody in the family said, why don't you just go have it appraised, see if it's worth anything, because it may not be worth, you know, the, the frame and the paper that it's on, and, and you can just, just discard it. And so he said, oh, yeah, that's a good idea, you know, so uh, kind of like Antiques Roadshow, any Antiques Roadshow fans here? Okay, a few of you, yeah. So um, anyway, he takes it in, gets it appraised, and it's worth $105,000. It's like, wow, I was trying to sell this thing for five bucks and no one would buy it. It's worth 105000 He ends up selling it for $100,000 to an art collector, a very, very rare painting. And so, you know, you hear stories like that. And it's like, you know, wow, there's a story of a guy uh, who was uh, out in uh, California. And uh, his, story goes, his story goes like this. He was trying to collect those tintype photos. If you remember those tintypes that are like from the 1800s, have a very unique look to them. And he was just trying to collect those. He saw them at a sale and he bought a stack of them for like two bucks. And he was like, got the stack of photos. As they're going through them and he's posting them online, somebody says, hey, I think that is a photo of Billy the Kid from 1878. And sure enough, they pass it around to people that know their history and, and uh, it comes and finds out this is actually a photo of Billy the Kid from 1878. And it appraised for $5 million. It's like $2 for $5 million. And again, you're like, well, what's the value of this thing? Because it was purchased for 2 bucks, But somebody says it's worth $5 million. And 
And then it reminded me of the story, and you've probably heard, heard this story uh, before, but uh, there was the guy that was at an estate sale, and he bought a bunch of old papers. It was just a stack of old papers, and he just liked the look of them. They were like yellowed with curling edges. You could just tell they were old. Some of them were pretty brittle, and he was going through them, and in the middle of the stack of papers, he found these stock certificates, and it said for Coca-Cola Bottling Company, Coca-Cola. Really old, and he's like, are these actually stock certificates for Coca-Cola, and when are they from? And so anyway, after doing his research and finding out uh, those uh, stock certificates and the stack of papers that he had bought for $10 was worth $1.8 billion. Billion, not even million. Billion. Can you imagine? And, and again, it's like, what is the value? What is the worth? And we can think about that in terms of things of this world. We can think about that in terms of, of, of stuff and, and items and, and things that we might call valuables. But even more so valuable is the human soul. It's the life and the air and the breath that God breathes into us. It's the fact that we're made in God's image, it says in the book of Genesis. And it's the fact that we should be a people of value and worth just because we're made in God's image. But even more so, we find our worth and value in some of the facts of Christmas. And yet there seems to be so many people today that struggle with that. They really struggle with feeling like I'm worth something, I'm worthwhile, I am valuable. And yet we find our identity in Christ Jesus, we find out, oh wow, we have very, very high value to him, to the kingdom of God. And a lot of that centers around exactly what God did in the incarnation and his son taking on the form of man that we celebrate at Christmas. I want to share some scripture with you this morning from Luke chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there to Luke chapter 1. And here's, here's one of the main things I want us to get and understand this morning. Is just because someone isn't aware of something's value doesn't make it worthless. You understand that from those stories, right? Just because someone isn't aware of something's value doesn't mean that it's worthless. And we're talking about items and possessions there, but even beyond that, I think for the human soul, the human heart, someone may not realize their value. They might not recognize someone else as worthwhile or valuable, but that doesn't make them any more or less valuable to God, to their creator. You see, as we look at this song and in this series, The Thrill of Hope, and in this, this song, O Holy Night, the soul of mankind felt its worth because God declared through Jesus that we have great, great value to him. As we read these passages in, in Luke chapter 1, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1 all day, so keep your Bible open to it. We're even, we're even going to come back to different parts of it at the end. We're going to be uh, reading about a couple of uh, stories about a few different characters. Uh, the first set is a man named Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. And, and, and the second uh, person we're going to read about is Mary. And yes, that is the mother of Jesus. Now, I'm going to tell you this morning, we're going to read a lot of Scripture this morning. And the best way to engage while I'm reading this to you is for you to follow along. So you're welcome to grab your Bible and do that, or you're welcome to get out your phone, download the Oakwood app, uh, maybe you've already done that, just go to Sermon Notes and all the scriptures are there for you. Now I know that some of you are Sooners, and you like to know what the sermon's about every week, and so you've already looked at it. You already opened the app, and you, and you went to the part with the scripture, and you scrolled and scrolled, and yes, we're going to read a lot of scripture this morning, but I really think God wants to to show us some special things from this. So uh, please follow along with me this morning. Luke chapter 1 beginning with verse 5. 
In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. And both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive And they were both very old. Now I want to pause there for a second and make sure we don't just glance over some things that we need to understand. Uh, First of all, uh, he's in the priestly lineage, which was a special privilege and a special selection for special duties that we're going to read about here in a second that Zechariah has chosen to do. They were both righteous people. God counted them as righteous, not mankind, but in the sight of God they were righteous, which is all that really matters. And they were childless. Now that is significant because whether we like it or not or want to admit it or not, In this time, that was kind of where a woman found her worth, was to be able to bear children and carry on the family name, and and that was just so important. And so if a a woman ended up being barren or or unable to have children, it, it was just such a great, great disappointment. And a lot of women in this time felt like they were devalued, that they, they, weren't, they weren't worth as much because they weren't able to carry that on. So keeping that in mind, let's read the rest of the story. Uh, Luke chapter 1, now uh, picking up at verse 8. It says, once when Zechariah's division was on duty, it's talking about the priests on duty in the temple, he was serving as a priest before God. He was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So the worshipers are gathered, they're praying outside of the temple, and he as one of the priests goes into the temple to burn the special incense. It says, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and he was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah asked the angel, well, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Most scholars believe somewhere between 65 to 85 years old, just well out of the childbearing years. And the angel said to him in verse 19, I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile... The people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak to them, and they realized he had seen a vision in the temple. For he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. And when his time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace Amongst the people. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel 
same angel, uh, to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee, to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. I want to pause there for just a second to point out a couple of things. If you go back to Luke chapter 1 and verse 13, notice when the angel appears to Zechariah, he says, don't be afraid. And if you go down to verse 30, when the same angel appears to Mary, again, the greeting is, don't be afraid, because they're both caught off guard, they're both afraid. It's also interesting to see both of their reactions. Because when Zechariah receives this news about what's going to happen and how God's going to use his wife Elizabeth, he says, how can I be sure of this? In verse 18, what is Mary's response in verse 34? How will this be, since I am a virgin? Let's go to verse 39 now. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Now, go down to verse 57. It says, when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. And they said to her, this is, there is no one among your relatives who has this name. Again, it's about carrying on the lineage. It's about carrying on the, the family name. And they, they're saying, you're going to name him Zechariah. I mean, this is probably your only shot at this. This is pretty miraculous. You're going to name him after, after Zechariah. I mean, you, you, and, and look what it says here, verse 62. And then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote on it, his name is John. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was set free and he began to speak, praising God. And all of the neighbors were filled with awe and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all of these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. Just because... 
someone isn't aware of something's value doesn't mean that it's worthless. Just because a person doesn't recognize another person's value doesn't mean that that person is worthless, especially to the kingdom of God. We have two stories interweaved here right before the birth of Jesus, which we celebrate at Christmas. And both of these stories have many parallels and many similarities. As we look back here, I think it's so much easier to look back and to understand things than it is to think forward in our lives. I think sometimes we read the words of Scripture and we think, well, I would have done this or I would have done this, different, or I would have handled it this way. But a lot of times when I read it and I, I really allow myself to be authentic and genuine with the Word of God, I say, I probably would have reacted and done the same thing these people did. Sometimes we think when an angel of the Lord would appear to us with some good news, uh, we'd be like, great, let's do it. And and not be, how can this be? Are you sure? Are you lying to me, angel of the Lord, Gabriel, that was coming to me from the presence of God? And yet we find out in all these reactions, there seems to be this underlying issue. I think the issue is that both of these ladies didn't understand their worth. They had not realized how valuable they were to God. and How God can use anyone to further his kingdom and to exercise his plan in moving it forward. And maybe you found yourself there in life at some point, feeling broken, feeling worthless, feeling like you don't have any value. Maybe it was a relationship that fell apart and it just left you in that place. Maybe it was a failure you had. Maybe it was a failure at a task or maybe some kind of moral failure that just left you devastated and longing for the Lord. Maybe, maybe it's something else. Maybe it's just that you have this, this guilt that you can't get rid of. Maybe the forgiveness of sins is, is a concept that you just can't seem to accept. Maybe it's just some kind of disappointment in life that life isn't what you thought it would be. Maybe you just feel used and abused by a friend. Maybe, maybe you feel ignored and cast aside by your family. And maybe this has led to a place in your life where you are dealing with depression and you're feeling down and out, and you're feeling sad, and maybe even you're feeling deep loneliness. And when you're in those places, it's easy to feel like, I don't have any worth. I don't have any value. And yet God says, I'm sending my son to you. Remember what the angels proclaimed to the shepherds. And they were just shepherds, sheep, sheep people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who's going to save you out of all these situations. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. You see, God values us. God believes in our worth. You see, for Elizabeth, it goes back to the fact that she was barren, that that was frowned upon, that that was so disappointing to her life. And I'm sure she's at some point just feeling devalued, maybe for years Yet the Lord comes to her husband and says, <laughs> Zechariah, you and Elizabeth, I don't care if you're 80 years old, I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you as part of this story of bringing my son into the world. And do you think when they received that news and we read when John, who we'll later know as John the Baptist, when John was born, do you see, do you maybe think that her soul felt its worth? 
Or, or let's, let's talk about Mary for a moment. Mary, a peasant girl, uh, most scholars believe a teenager in the ripe age of maybe 16, 17 years old. A poor peasant girl from Nazareth. Scripture says, can anything good come from Nazareth? Dusty old town. Can anything really good come out of Nazareth? If God declares it, sure can. And she goes for a visit. And I'm sure that it was, it was great to get away from the city. But I imagine upon her return to Nazareth, what do you think she encountered? Ye who were pledged to be married. Can you imagine the shame? You imagine the whispers as she begins to show that she's great with the child. And her, and her, what's funny about it is to consider her reason, okay? Oh, the Holy Spirit has come upon me and I'm carrying the Son of God. Most of us would be like, yeah, right. Come on, Mary. No, no, an angel appeared to me and told me, and, 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 and even Elizabeth is, is with child now, and she's, you know, way up there in years, and, and, and no, I haven't done anything wrong, but, you know, people are. Finger-pointing, questioning glances, maybe a little bit of gossip and slander behind her back. Maybe she'll have felt cast away from her family and her friends. You see, you have to understand, in ancient culture, virginity was an honored state. It was a badge of self-control and moral faithfulness to your Lord. Oh yes, there would be finger-pointing. And there would be a feeling of failure. And there would be a feeling from people looking at her and questioning. And it makes me wonder, did Mary go through that? From just not only being a poor peasant girl that's, you know, pledged to be married to a, a carpenter from Nazareth. I mean, big deal. That, that, that's her lot in life. But now, to have this weight, to feel like she has to prove in some way that what she's saying to everyone is the truth. But it will only be seen over time. I imagine Mary went through a time. She struggled. But when the Lord, when, when the Lord chose her, when the Lord brought her up, when the Lord shared with an angelic announcements to her, uh, you are going to bear my son, Jesus, the Messiah. I wonder if her soul felt its worth. And you think about this, so how did God make souls feel their worth? And how would he do so today? I want to give you just a, a little bit of a, an illustration here. I have with me a $20 bill. I folded it, but it was nice and crisp and brand new. And if I gave you a $20 bill, you would say it's worth what? $20, right? So it's worth $20. That's, that is the intrinsic value of a $20 bill. Now, if I take this $20 bill and I kind of mess it up and kind of, you know, I get all bends and folds and I kind of wear it out. I run it through the laundry a couple of times. Uh, maybe what I do with it is I stamp it into the ground and I bend it and I get it all dirty and I, I do all these things. If I do all these things to this $20 bill and I hand it back to you, what's it worth now? $18.95, right. It's worth $18.95. I lost $1.05 in value. No, just kidding. It, it's, you'd still say the same thing. Well, it doesn't matter the, the, con, the condition of it. It's still worth $20. That's the intrinsic value of it. And we all have this. We have this um, intrinsic value that just because we're made in the image of God, just because we, we have human form, and we're, we're, Genesis tells us this, this, that we're made in the likeness of God, that we have intrinsic value. All of God's people, all of his creation, all of God's children have intrinsic value just because you're you, just because you're uniquely and wonderfully made, Scripture says. 
But beyond that, there's also potential value. You may say, well, this 20 is worth 20, and it doesn't matter what happens to it, it's worth 20. Ah, 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 ah. If I invest it and it makes interest, my 20 could be worth 21. You see, there's intrinsic value in it, but there's also potential value. And what I want to share with you this morning, and what's awesome about God, is God values both. He values you just because of who you are, just because of how he's made you. There's intrinsic value, but there's potential value that he may call you to do even more. They, they, he, may, he may choose you to rise up and to do a mission for him, to do some kind of ministry for him, maybe some kind of ministry task. Maybe it's just to share the gospel with one of his lost children that they could find eternal life. Wow. And there's so much potential value in all of us. But let's go back to the question, how did God help souls fill their worth? First thing I want you to get this morning is that God came near. God came near near. God knew these ladies. God knew Zechariah. God knew their circumstances. It was no surprise to him. And yet he chose them anyway. He chose them out of those circumstances. He was there for them. He came to them with his presence. God came close. God came near. And God is near to us. He proves it to us in the birth of Jesus. Well, what was the name? I believe it's from Isaiah. Emmanuel. He'll be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. God came near to both of these ladies and to Zechariah in the passages today, but he's also come near to us, and he's proven it through giving us Jesus, God with us, his son. He proves it even further with the promised Holy Spirit. That after Jesus, the Son of God, did his mission on the earth, he was risen from the dead and he ascended into heaven. He told the disciples and all that would follow him and accept him and call upon his name that you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit isn't God with us. The Holy Spirit is God in us. God is inside of us now. Yes, God is near. He's close. And he is even close to you when your soul isn't feeling its worth. In Psalm 34, 18, it reminds us of this. It says that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. In Psalm 145, 18, it says, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. So whatever it is, wherever you're at, God sent Jesus as a sign unto you that he wants to have presence in your life. He wants to be close to you. God came near to us. And that's what Christmas means, is that God came near. And I think because of that, the soul felt its worth. But he didn't stop there with these ladies. He didn't just come to them. Come to them with angelic announcements. Come to them with a mission and, and come to them uh, with the birth of the Savior of mankind, the Son of God. No, God also commissioned them. God commissioned them. That word commission means to entrust mission. He, he expected them to walk out their faith. He expected them to become even more useful for his kingdom's purposes and for his kingdom's work. God entrusted Elizabeth, even when she was old, to bring John the baptizer into the world. 
And he would be one, uh, what did our scripture say? One that spoke with the authority in the likeness of Elijah, calling God's people, preparing the way, preparing the way for the Lord. And then God entrusted Mary with bringing the Messiah, the Son of God, supernaturally, the, the Savior of all mankind into the world. And folks, this is a big deal, that God would entrust an older lady that was barren, that he would entrust a teenager by bringing the Son of God into the world. And God still entrusts ministries and, and opportunities to share the gospel, and he's still calling all of us today to ministry work for him, to kingdom work. That's why I love the term they use at Christ and Youth Conference for our teenagers. They call them kingdom workers. And you don't have to wait till you're 20, and you don't have to wait till you're 25, and you don't have to have a Bible college degree. If God has called you to salvation, you are in his ministry's work. And you walk that work out before the Lord. You see, God didn't just come near to them, God commissioned them. And God commissions us. We, we talk about it all the time in our church. It's, it's the marching orders for all Christians. It's called the Great Commission. And the heart of it is to make disciples. What is a disciple? A fully devoted, lifelong follower of Jesus Christ. And that says to make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. God commissions each of us. And sometimes I think we really, we really lack this. Because we're not as dedicated as we should be. God has uniquely formed each of us. God has uniquely put us all in different social circles with different, different interactions with different people. We all have different opportunities to share the good news, the gospel about Jesus Christ with people. And yet we chose to just kind of clam up or, or to shut up and to not share with our voices the message of the gospel. To not share with people the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And scripture implores us and says that we should always be prepared to give a testimony, to give a witness for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. We should always be prepared. The scripture also implores us to, to be people of the word. And we're, that we're keeping the word of God, that people see how dedicated we are to God. And that we're pursuing his righteousness, his holiness. And that that in turn shows people the way to God. Because they see there's, there's something different. Something completely different about those people. And sometimes he places us in a personal ministry position. I remember years ago, Amy and I had the opportunity to teach kindergarten Sunday school. We did that for about six months, and it was awesome. It was awesome to see those kids soak up those Bible stories, to be able to just, to just watch them start with those seeds of faith in their hearts, to believe that God is who he says he is, that he's, he's going to do all he's promised to do, and, and, and to have their, their hearts and their minds just open up to the word of God. God may not be calling you to kindergarten, but maybe he's called you to work with teenagers, or maybe he's called you to be a, a greeter at one of our doors or to work with our, our tech team. But God has given us all different spheres of influence, different talents, abilities, testimony. He's given us different spiritual gifts that are promised to us when we are saved. That He, he, he equips us. He's an equipping God. We're, we're called to be an equipping church. And, and to bring all of this before the Lord. And he calls us. And it may not, not be through uh, Gabriel, 
He may not appear to us, but I think God appears to us through Scripture and appeals to us through His Word and through His Spirit all the time. We've got to quit making excuses. We've got to start doing the work of the Lord. Because that's when we find a thrill of hope. I think that's part of it. When God commissioned them, their souls felt their worth. Not only did he come to them, but he commissioned them. I want to end our time this morning by sharing with you what Paul Harvey would say is the rest of the story. Luke chapter 1, go back to verse 46. This is Mary, it's uh, part of, uh, in my Bible it says Mary's song, it's called the Magnificat, you may have heard of that, and it's her response to this news from the angel, it's her response to seeing, hey, Elizabeth is actually uh, pregnant, she's great with child, this, this is amazing, and here's Mary, Mary's response in verse 46 of Luke chapter 1, and Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord, some translations say my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. And holy is his name. Mary's response, different Different than, how can this be? Different. My soul magnifies the Lord. Maybe Mary's full soul felt its worth when she realized that God came near and that God had a plan. He was going to use her in a special way. But I also want to read the rest of the story with Zechariah and Elizabeth there in Luke chapter 1. Go down to verse 67. After his son, John, John the Baptist was born. In verse 67, it says this, His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied. And he said this in verse 68, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. And as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to do what? To show mercy to our ancestors, to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham. Look at verse 74. To do what else? To rescue us from the hand of our enemies. To do what else? To enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. We're going to dedicate our complete life to him. Verse 76, and you, my child, he's talking about John, his son now. He says, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, and you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the what? Because of why? Why? Because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Heavenly peace. True inner contentment type of peace. The peace that we all seek. If you go back 
to verse 66 of Luke chapter 1. Remember how uh, the announcement in John's birth and Zechariah, remember how that ended. It said, for the Lord's hand was with him. God came near. God commissioned them for a special work. It's because of that, I think, a soul can fill its worth. I think that's what, what the writer's talking about in O Holy Night. It's because of Jesus, because of who he is, because of what he's done. A soul can fill its worth. God sent Jesus for me. He thought I was valuable enough to send his son. To send him on a mission of sacrifice. To leave the throne of heaven. Who wants to leave the throne of heaven and be thrust into this lost and, and broken world? And yet, God did it. He did it. He did it because he loved us. Because of Jesus. And this morning, I want to respond to this message by us taking communion together. And so hopefully you got those elements when you came in this morning. And if you're online with us, please grab your bread and, and your juice at this time. We're going to spend some time with the Lord. And I want to remind you of two things about this time, this moment that we have with the Lord. When we celebrate Holy Communion, uh, the scripture says when we gather around the Lord's table and, and uh, we take the Lord's Supper, there's something significant here. The first reminder is that God came near. God came near. Jesus, when he was in the upper room with the disciples, the night that they first celebrated Holy Communion together, he began that as they entered into this house in the upper room. He began that time. He said, I have eagerly desired to share this meal with you. I think Jesus would say that to us every week when we come to this moment. I have eagerly desired to share this meal with you. I want to remind you, God came near. I came into the world as a sacrifice for you. God came near because of his great love. But it doesn't just stop there. I mean, we do take these elements, the bread that represents his body and the cup that represents his blood. And, and Jesus told the disciples, do this in remembrance of me. It's a memorial meal. But he didn't just stop there. I think it's also a commissioning meal. I mean, when he was up there with the disciples, if you read the Upper Room Discourse, he commissions those disciples to take this good news of my sacrifice and my great love from, from the Holy Father in heaven and take it off into the lost and dying world that you all are going to be the hands and feet of me. When I'm no longer physically here, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. And I commission you. I entrust my mission to you that you'll go and make disciples. And so as we take communion this morning, we want to remember these elements that, that God came near, that Jesus was real. He took on flesh. He became a man and came into this world to save us. But to also, I just imagine him at the table this morning saying, go and share this with somebody this week. Let's pray about that right now. Lord God, I just thank you for the opportunity we have to come to gather around your table to, uh, in, in these emblems, Lord, to remember you, the sacrifice of Jesus. And God, as we have come into this time, I just pray, God, that you would use this time in a special way to draw us ever more so into your presence. God, I just, uh, I, I just know, Lord, that, um, that the angels in heaven, that, that, that I, I just picture, Lord, this, this great banquet table with everyone there. 
God, this, this idea and this feeling of family, the family of heaven together, making a big deal, looking to the end of the table, the head of the table, which is Jesus Christ, and knowing God came near. And God, I, I pray that also through these next few moments that this would be our motivation. This would motivate us to get involved in ministry, to find our place, to use our spiritual giftedness, to not be someone that's just sitting on the sidelines, but Lord, to, to, to get into the game of life, to use all of our opportunities, all of our relationships, all of our contacts, all of our context and all the situations you put us into every week that are unique just to us, that we would use those to maximize your kingdom. God, remind us in these elements and in these next few moments that our soul has worth because of Jesus. We pray all these things in his name. Amen. Would you take a moment, take communion, and remember these things.